Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of In Our 1990s, a podcast where your two hosts are ranking all the alternative albums of the 1990s as scientifically as it's possible to do anything related to the 90s. I'm your host Natalie and with me as always is my co-host Adrian. How are you doing, Adrian? Ah, oh, not so bad. That was a simple, uh, simple and to the point answer. Uh, well, it's been a it's been a minute, and it's on me, y'all. I'm sorry. It is. It's entirely your fault. <laughs> I'm joking. I mean, I mean, it is largely it my is fault. largely your fault, but also I'm not that upset about it. Um, I've been busy. I'm sorry. My brain just doesn't want to work. All right. Well, we're back with really good albums this week. Mm-hmm. This is, it was, I think, this is one of our higher quality shows overall. And thematically, they really play together because it's like we can talk about the, the these two bands in a, a in an, sort of analyzing the career of them in a way that's very that's strangely similar. Is it strangely similar because the church were dramatic motherfuckers and the sundays are like the most anonymous band we've ever talked about well it, it's different it's different trajectories but it's like two sides of the coin of bands that should definitely be more successful than they are what the fuck happened and then we learn what what happened in a very very dramatic pole poles of the conversation but in that they are similar because it's such an outlying story you know uh, right right and uh, like well, let's just get into it. We're going to talk about our first album this week. It's from 1990. It is Gold Afternoon Fix by The Church. Yep. This uh, this album was destined, created, and believed to be the best follow-up to Starfish that could possibly ever exist. And the reality is it fractured the band and completely demoralized them in many ways creatively. This album isn't bad, but and you probably if you aren't if you if I don't tell you now, you might not have ever picked up on the fact, except for a couple songs if you really listen, that the majority of this album was done with a drum machine. Four tracks were done with the original drummer of the church. Uh, Richard Plug left the band during the middle of this, and uh, Marty Wilson Piper has an amazing blog about the creation of this album. Where he goes into some like real hatred territory for the choice of their producer to use a drum machine. Their producer, who was a drummer, this album that was recorded in Los Angeles in a incredibly famous studio that was incredibly ex- accessible by all of the major session drummers in L.A. Yeah, no shortage of drummers, no shortage of any musician in Los Angeles. But because their producer did not like that their their uh, pre- their actual drummer could not keep time in a way that he was satisfied with, uh, he fought and got the got them to agree to not use him for most of the most of the album. And the way that uh, Marty Wilson Piper says that tells the story, it it sounds like it was not just the producer being annoyed that the guy kept playing fast which apparently had been a problem with him from the beginning of the band that he would start increasing the tempo during shows he would start increasing the tempo during recordings and he just could not keep a steady time yeah so as somebody who has played drums in a live band let me let me just say that's really easy to do because the more you get into a song the faster you play 
yeah. unless you're really thinking about it. But if you like, when I played drums in a band, the the band leader was constantly doing this to me, and I'm making a take it down gesture <laughs> with my hand. <laughs> and sometimes drummers do need to be told. But the thing is, this guy was being consistently told. But it sounds like his interests were getting way more. Uh, spiritual minded, uh, anything but being a band member in this band. Uh, that's the way that uh, Marty Wilson Piper says it. I don't have Richard's account side of the story to make up to, to cover that. But what led to it was that four songs got recorded with this guy, then they gave him the boot, and then their, uh, their producer bought an Alessis HR 16 and really wanted. Oh man. The HR-16. Yeah. He, Wait, is, I think it's the SR-16, isn't it? It's, it the uh, Piper said HR, so oh, okay. it probably is an SR. Yeah, but, I, it's it's the the highest selling drum machine of all time. Like it's And it's very just, like, you have one sound on this, and it is the sound of a live drummer rendered in glorious 16 bits. Yeah, and uh, the way that the Wilson Piper describes it is he thinks it sounds like a soulless giant plogging lifelessly away. Uh, so it's sort of just like a very... It, it is it is very much that sound. And when you need... And the church writes music that needs nuance from all of their musicians, that the intensity of a drummer really cannot be matched by a drum machine of this era. So I'm going to I'm going to disagree a little bit there and say that the guy didn't know how to program it. Well, that's I mean that's really what the case was. Is like he knew the tool could work, but he was he wasn't doing the things efficiently and the way that another member of the band took this was that these things just sound lifeless in this capacity. And where this really stands out are songs that he mentioned, uh The Grind and oh gosh, what was the other one? Was it Fading Away? Because those were the two bad songs on the album. No. Oh, wait, no. Fading Away is good. Sorry. Disappointment and Grind are the bad songs. Well, it's not necessarily a bad song that's... Let's see. It was The Grind and You're So Beautiful. You're So Beautiful has a uh, a little bit of a fill in it that just sounds like trash. Yeah. And then that fill returns on the grind and sounds like trash. And those are the parts where he said it sounded soulless, which I agree. I don't think drum machines can do fills very well if you want them noticeable in the mix. And the way these songs were written, the drums are very noticeable. They are very their own sound. And I don't know. It just. Yeah. As a as a huge, you know, Cocteau Twins fan, number one, they used a drum machine on all their albums and their fills are hugely inspiring to me. So it is possible to do good fills on a drum machine, but I did see in in like researching this that like the whole band just complained about Wadi Watchell, who was the producer, mm. complained that his drum programming was just super stiff. And it, if you don't know what you're doing, it's going to be the Alesis SR16 has uh, velocity sensitive pads and shit on it, so like you can get a more. I mean, yes, a drum machine is never going to sound exactly like a human drummer. It's never going to have not never, but it's you have to put a lot more work into programming drums that have a human feel than than like the reason you use a drum machine is because you want to do it fast. Yeah. And so to get an actual human feel, yes, you do have to like really pour over like changing up velocities on different like 
drum hits and shit. <laughs> so like, I think it's, I, I think it's a little bit like, I, I agree with the band that like it was done poorly in, in a way, but like, not that it could not have been done well. And and I'm when I'm saying that making that argument, I'm making their argument on this that like yeah. that there is that they they believe that, that this was just not the way to do it, and they I think they're right. Yeah. Because I think that they're the way that they needed drums to function in their music. Drum machine just wasn't cutting it, and especially not a drum machine on by done by a producer uh, that was forced on them because they wanted the uh, former. <laughs> a, God, what, what band was he from? Yeah, it was Led Zeppelin. Yeah, I was gonna say I thought it was. Um, I don't remember now who which member was it. Uh, Jimmy Page or John Paul Jones. Oh, okay. Yeah, I didn't think Jimmy Page was right, but yeah, he like he, they wanted him to produce it, and then their studio that was completely wrong on virtually everything that happened to this band from this point forward because this is the best selling of their three albums on this label. Uh, they were like, no, it's going to get too arty and you're not going to deliver the music that we want. It can't be, com- it won't be commercially viable. I'm like, just let them make music because what, uh, well, Wilson Piper, uh, goes on to say is that like, we got, we got messed up by grunge. We got messed up by grunge in a way that we were not going to be able to recover from with the way that we were being told to make our music. And then he goes on to further detail that this album was the beginning of them just realizing that they did a bad thing by signing with this label. Yeah, the, the label being Arista, by the way. Yeah, Arista was just controlling them in a way that was ma- that was manufacturing music, not giving room for artists to create music, and that led to a lot of tensions in the band and a lot of recreational drug use that turned into uh, drug addiction and. The title of this album is actually not based off of uh, using heroin. That would not be a factor in this band's life until after this album was out. But it is actually a term for fixing the gold prices in the afternoon on the stock market. Uh, But if you know a little bit about the bad side of of the church's history, then you hear this title. That has been something that people have had to go out and explain. It's like, no, 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 no. These things are different, (laughs) even though they sound similar. Yeah, and just to take it back um, just a little bit, uh the other thing that like fucked them on this album was that the their previous album starfish had under the milky way on it which is their biggest hit ever Mm -hmm. and so the label was basically like well you guys proved that you can make a hit so now go make a whole album full of under the milky ways which is the the worst possible way to write a hit song is being told go go make some hits you're you're hit you proved you can do it now go go catch that lightning in a bottle you know, 12 times. Yeah, and <laughs> you can, and at the same time, like, when they were working on this music, there was a vibe of, like, this is another Wilson Piper thing, is, like, we wanted to do something where we could be our own quirky thing, but also be commercial enough to succeed, and he directly mentions The Cure in this, and the the real thing is that The Cure just, I feel, just got free reign to do the music they wanted to do most of their careers. Yeah, and I have no idea how, because the Cure were just such, like, drugged out addicts. <laughs> like, I mean, I hate to say it, but, like, Robert Smith has told story that there's a reason that the Cure has such a huge turnover in their lineup, and it's because they were constantly kicking people out for being addicted to drugs and alcohol who weren't Robert Smith, um, who was also addicted to drugs and alcohol. But, you know, listen to, like, 
anything about the making of disintegration and and fuck like how did that album ever come out but yeah i mean they, they, but the, the thing is that's why they went so commercial so quickly the church here uh because they were like well if we get in good with a label we can start doing our own thing we have good production and then we can just create this like psych psychedelic pop dreamscape thoughtful nonsense we want to make and that just didn't happen and I think as they all got really disillusioned with it, it really shows in the music. I think this album is pretty good. Yeah, and, I think it's really good. And if you're if the only church song you've ever heard is Under the Milky Way, forget it and listen to this album because this is the song Pharaoh that opens this album uh, is a indictment of the music industry, sort of parading people through, and it's. If you read if you read the lyrics or listen to it with that that read in mind, which is fairly obvious once you you know, but it's Yeah, let me let me just read a little bit of these lyrics. Hi to all the people that are selling me. Here's one straight from the factory. They've sewn my eyes up in their sockets. I dip my hand into their pockets. That was obviously written from a person who was happy with with how his career was going. Yeah, and and that's really what uh, Wilson Piper says is that the lyrics started coming from a place of just like the immediate problem. It's like, it's the, the like, Randy Newman thing of like, red-headed lady eating an apple, but not that. It was just all of the things that was making him mad or the immediate experience in the room that just turned into songs. And I feel it. I understand. That song slaps, by the way. I really like Pharaoh. Yeah, Pharaoh's, it's really good and it really sets the tone for, I mean, this whole album is, it lives up to its cover because this is like some desert goth shit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, goth is saying it's just goth is like selling it short because it's it's not. I mean, yes, every time I've ever been to a goth club in my life, they've played under the Milky Way. And there's definitely goth influence throughout this album. But there's a lot more than that, too. Um, but Pharaoh is such just Egyptian desert goth and, and it's it's really good at it. And uh they they were mad with the spelling of Pharaoh. It's not supposed to be spelled this way. That got messed up in the uh, original. How did they spell it? It's uh, it's. So I think I have it spelled right in my notes. So. Yeah. So the way they spelled it was, P H A R O A H. Oh okay. Yeah. Pharaoh. Yeah, which is not how it's supposed to be spelled. Yeah. And they got a lot of shit about it, and Wilson Piper was so annoyed he still mentioned it. <laughs> <laughs> they, like, they didn't do the rem life's rich pageant thing where the album the track order got messed up or the the listing of the song titles on the sleeve got messed up and then they just renamed the songs <laughs> so it's like you it's really funny because you have a song that's obviously like i believe but then it's called something else on the album the song where he's saying i believe over and over so they just like changed the name of it <laughs> <laughs> yeah this was more just like it got messed up in the liner notes that it, someone else misspelled it and then that that's what the pro the whole like mock-up went with and never got proofed on that one because do you do you correct a band when they misspell a word the church would have liked you to have. Yeah. <laughs> i mean i think you say you asked did yeah. you mean to misspell it if you did it's fine because this is art it's not <laughs> not literature oh my god i'm just i'm now reflecting on billy corgan and machina Machina. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, the Machina. <laughs> oh, goddamn. Uh, like, I have a friend who one time we were playing D&D and he said that we were doing the thing that needed to be done stealthily and he said we need to be Campbellstein about this. And everyone was like, Campbellstein? He's like, yeah, you know, stealthy. It's like, do you mean clandestine? <laughs> like, sometimes you read words but you've, and you know what they mean, but you've never said them out loud before. And clearly, Billy Torkin never said <laughs> Deus Ex Machina out loud before. Oh my gosh. But yeah, so just just ask. It's fine. Uh, but yeah, so the, the what do you think about Metropolis? I think it's I mean, it's clearly the most like, taken a swing at Under the Milky Way Part 2, but I also kind of think it's better than Under the Milky Way. I, I just think there's more, like, it's 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 more cerebral and like, just as poppy, but a little better composed i think yeah yeah i I think that's a a great way to to think about it i i forgot it was the single because i liked pharaoh so much i was like why didn't they make that the single and i was like oh i get it Uh, pharaoh is not a single no but it's so good um yeah there's not a ton to say about metropolis like it's clearly somewhat referencing the film but kind of using that as a jumping off point. I mean, this whole album is like, sounds like it's post-apocalyptic in a way. Mm-hmm. And Metropolis kind of feels like it's the, like chronologically the beginning of that downfall. And then, you know, then you move on to stuff like Terra Nova Kane that's clearly more of a post-downfall of society. Uh, yeah. And I didn't necessarily mean for that to be a sideway out of Metropolis, but no, 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 that's fine. I was mostly just like I brought it up because it was the single, and I, it's I get why it is, but it, it somehow I like that song, but it just feels a little bit in the wrong. It, it's getting in the wrong shuffle, like you said. It's well, Pharaoh is is Pharaoh should be the opener. I mean, yes. that is like an opener, an opener ass opener for your like. Egyptian post-apocalyptic concept album. I know that's probably not what they were going for with this, but also it kind of is. Um, so yeah, like I, I, I really like Metropolis, and like for me, the Church was a band that I, I've, I had never really listened to a lot of the non-singles. Like it, it's, I've always just been a little more on the. It, it's really just a, a. What's the word I'm looking for? Like a. And it's just, I've just overlooked it, you know. Mm-hmm. I liked the singles, and that was good enough for me. Yeah, and that's unfortunately what a lot of their career ended up being during and after this album. It's just like, oh, that one song was really good. Oh, yeah? <laughs> Which one? Under the Milky Way. <laughs> yeah, Under the Milky Way sounds too much like Echo and the Bunnymen. I am so glad you said that because every time I think about that song I also get Under the Killing Moon. Yeah. I mean it just sounds like an Echo and the Bunnymen song, which isn't bad. I mean it's I don't think they're as good as the church, but like it's I don't know. That's not the song out of the church's oeuvre that I would like say should be the most well-known and most popular. No, and that's, I mean, that's why I keep talking about Pharaoh, because that's the song I associate with the church more than <laughs> Under the Milky Way. Like, that song just, like, sometimes it just creeps up on you. You go, like, yeah. Because you can feel 
so uh, the actual drummer's playing on Feral is the one thing I wanted to say. And I forgot to pull out which other songs were the ones he actually played on. But I think it's only four tracks, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's only four tracks. On? Yeah, but this one he did, and it shows because there's this just... It is mixed weird, and uh, Marty Wilson Viper su- suspects that they replaced part of the drum track with the synthesizer, but it still feels more alive than others parts of the, of of the album, and I I get that vibe because there's a there's a a weight to Pharaoh that if that had been on the been on the song Grind, it might have made that song slightly better. <laughs> But yeah, then Terra, I like Terra Nova Kane. I, I think the lyrics are kind of silly, but like I don't hate them, but like it's kind of a bad pun. And also when he sings that, it, it sounds like he says Terra Nova Cage. Oh, yeah. It doesn't sound like he says Kane at all to me, which makes it, it just makes it confusing. Yeah, I mean, a lot of this. Uh, I forgot the thing I was going to say about one of these songs. It was, I think it's. The one where he talks about the picture of Dorian Gray. Oh, that is... Is that Essence? I think so. That that one's about the place where the... Go ahead. Uh, no, okay, no. It's... You're Still Beautiful. That's the one that... Yeah. Where he mentions the picture of Dorian... You're a walking picture of Dorian Gray, I think is the line. Yeah, because it's about a, a infamous drunk uh, junkie around the place where they recorded in Sydney. And a lot of this album actually is really referential of, like, Sydney, just music and street life. And I, I dig that, but it, I really think that is one of the reasons it sounds so off. Because this album was, like, pretty much done in Sydney. And then they sent a mix, then they sent their demo tape to their studio, uh, to the, yeah, to the, to the label. And the label was like, now you have to come to L.A. and redo all of it so by the time they got from sydney to la they were sick of this album oh yeah yeah it's having to like there's a reason that usually when people lose an album they don't redo it um because you just you can't like it it's you're capturing a moment and once that moment's passed like it just feels so rote to do it all again yeah, and I just know there's just an inherent sadness to how this this album came together, and it's not necessarily the drum machine, and I don't think I'm I'm not I don't think it's nearly as bad as they say it is. No, like but I, the weird thing is I think this album is really really good, and like it has, it succeeds in spite of just everything being stacked against it. Absolutely, and that, and that's very true. It, it and even so that's why i wanted to read what marty wilson piper wrote about it because he was just ripping into this shit he would just just give it the business he he said the stuff he liked and then he said why everything was ruined and i think that's how they all think about it and that's really really sad but i get why yeah i get that and it's like that story i was telling you the other day in the video i watched with flood where he was talking about enjoy the silence and how uh martin gore like hates the version of this on the dark released because he wrote it as like a funeral dirge and then flood and the record label heard it and was like this needs to be a disco track <laughs> and he just was never happy with it um and i can see that with this too like if if you've heard if you had heard 
the original versions and what they started out recording and thought they were recording, like you might hate this version. But the fact that it's not all out there, all I've heard is this version, and like I think these songs are really good. And like, yeah, there are ways it could be improved, but like f- the foundation of these songs, I think, is is like a pretty great album. Yeah, and I think it would, and I think if they had gotten their way, and if they had been able to record this the way they wanted to with who they wanted to, it it would be much different. It would, it would they would be happier with it i don't know if their careers would be much different but i think this was definitely the beginning of a just overall downward spiral for everyone's well-being and it's it it sucks when beautiful music comes out of that tension but it's this album if you've only listened to one church album listen to this one because it wasn't this one so move beyond starfish listen to Golden Afternoon Fix, because it's pretty decent. Yeah, I I mean, again, like, because they're a band I've kind of only listened to in single form, I I went back and listened to Starfish, um, and, like, I didn't think it was anywhere near as good as this. Exactly. (laughs) Um, And, and, like, I don't think Under the Milky Way is, is, like, as good as most of these songs. No, uh... And again, I don't mean to harp on that song like it's the only church song I've ever listened to, but like it is the church song every person on earth has heard. Exactly. So, so it's whether they know it or not. Yeah, just test yourself a little bit. Go out, just try some different stuff. Yeah, no, but that's that's pretty much how I feel about this album. It's it's a an honest to goodness gem, just drenched in so much sadness. Yeah, I want to call out um, Russian Autumn Heart as like a maybe my favorite song on the album i like metropolis a lot i like pharaoh a lot rushing out autumn heart is a it's a it's a sleeper and i think that um essence has some pretty good lyrics like relatively progressive for a you know a band that had bands were not as progressive in you know the early 90s as they are now yeah and that's sort of a you know song about you know small dicked men and they're fucking things up (laughs) (laughs) and i use small dick metaphorically i don't mean that if you have a small penis you're a bad person but yeah literally a line from the song you sway and you swagger with your neat little dagger you're gonna blow it again so (laughs) tell me that's not what he had in mind and i think transient is also a good song except that it's not the normal lead singer it's peter uh cops is doing the lead vocal and just so trying to sound like Bob Dylan that it's distracting. It is, yes. So there is a uh, a comp a uh, special edition of this album that has the uh, original mixtape, the original tape on it. Oh, cool. Uh, yeah. yeah, I'll have to listen to that then because I. Unless it's just a demo tape and it's like acoustic guitar and vocals or something, and then I don't care. But. Okay. Yeah, Terra Nova Kane is where Wilson Piper was a co-writer and I believe sang on it. So. Okay. Yeah, because they kind of all, it's one of those bands where kind of everybody does a little of everything, it seems like. Yeah, and I like bands like that. It just makes it sound, so when something's off, and I think that's why they talk about it so much as being off in this weird vibe, because I think because they were commingling on all of these, like, elements of these songs. And uh, another aside on the drum machine, apparently the lead singer would, when he was writing songs, would use a Roland to do the drum track while he was writing it. Uh, like a 
TR-808 or 909. Yeah. Yeah. That's not surprising. All right. Well, so just for ranking purposes, I do want to mention that, like, I think most of this album is really good. I think Disappointment and Grind are both bad songs that could have easily been cut from the album and, like, nothing would have been lost. Yeah. Especially Disappointment because it's the longest song on the album. I I think I every time I listen to this album I kind of skip through disappointment. I'm just like I get halfway through it and go like I'm done. It's just like six minutes long and it's boring as hell. What a disappointment. Yeah. Don't don't call your song disappointment unless you know it's really good. Okay, so we're ready to rank this. Yeah, I think so. All right. So this I'll see where you think it goes. This may be one where I think it goes higher than you think it goes though. Uh, let's go, let's see around 35. So 35 is Speep Squeak Creek by Melt Banana. So yeah, we're way apart on that. I would put this like, <laughs> I would put this much higher than that. Okay. What do you think? Because I think it's good. I just. Um, I would put it at least at 21 and like I could go higher than that. You know, I think that's fine. I, so when I first thought about it, I was thinking around twenty twenty one was a was a good range. I was just being, you know. Yeah, I was thinking it's like top twenty, but then I saw that Flood by They Might Be Giants is number twenty, and it's going to be real hard for me to put it over that because I love that album so much. I think twenty one's a good place for it because I don't think it's better than Flood. Okay, because originally I was thinking like fifteen mm-hmm. <laughs> because I, I think it's better than Kill Angel, but you know, Kill Angel is too high on our list, um, and I think it's better than Earthling, but. Again, list we have. It's it's hard for me to put this above flood. I I think it's I think it's in flood territory. I yes, I, I, don't, I I think that I think Earthling is a little a little too much of an, on its on its own branch. But yeah. Okay. Well, I'm I'm happy with twenty one for it then. Um, Sounds good. I think yeah, definitely better than thirty five. Okay, so that'll put it between Flood by the Many Giants, like we said, and it'll go above. Say that to name, Say the title of that album. What is it? The Ramstein album. Uh, Seinsucht. Okay, it goes above that and middle, below Flood. All right, so we'll get that added to the list, and we'll come back and talk about the Sundays. back to talk about our second album this week which is another one from 1990 it's a real 1990 kind of week up in here and that is just learned that i've been pronouncing the title of this album wrong my whole life it is uh reading writing and arithmetic by the sunday is not reading writing because they're from reading right because it's a it's a pun you see because the city is pronounced reading and the activity is pronounced reading which really irritates me because i'm one of those assholes who knows that the reading festival is not the reading festival unlike most americans who mention that festival and call it the reading festival um americans don't have creative pronunciation yeah well so and harriet wheeler the singer of the sundays is from reading even though the band was founded in bristol um and these songs are very much about her like upbringing and being a 
person from Reading, which sounds real shitty based on the <laughs> lyrics. I, I know nothing about Reading, so I can't I don't tell either, you. but she seems to, she talks about it the way I talk about my hometown, of just fucking hillbillies or something. Like everyone hates their hometown. Yeah. So the Sundays are, of all the bands we've talked about that are as well known as they are, not a single member of the Sundays has their own Wikipedia page. And I think that's indicative of why they aren't famous. Like, it's like I mean, they're kind of famous. Okay, so like the thing is, they were they were being marketed as a as a pop band in a pop scene that was getting weird and dancey again, and they would be on pop shows and just look like some some dudes showed up and a and a girl just like just showed up and started playing music. A girl who wore overalls a lot in the early nineties. Yeah, so they didn't look like pop stars. Pop stars because it's not like they didn't want to be famous, but they really didn't want to be famous. No, they did not want. I mean, they said they said David Gavirin, the guitarist and, and co-founder with Harriet Wheeler, said, "I always kind of wanted to write songs, but I didn't want to be famous, so I didn't really see any point in writing songs." Because like, so the band started when Harriet Wheeler and David Gavirin, Gavirin, however you pronounce his last name, met at, at college in Bristol and started dating. And then after they graduated, they were just like, I always kind of wanted to write songs. Yeah, I always kind of did too. All right, let's, let's try it. And then they were signed like within a year. Yeah. <laughs> and and, the, and, and like they... on John Peel and like it just turned out they were super good at it for two albums. And then they made a real bad album. And you know, <laughs> and I and I get that. I You can be very talented at something and then it becomes the thing you absolutely do not want to be known for and you don't want it to make it work. You wanted to create a beautiful thing and then it just turned into a job and that, I get it. So, like, I don't think it was even like a Nirvana, like a Kurt Cobain, like, I super don't want to be a rock star and yet here I am. It was just kind of like, they didn't care before and they didn't care when (laughs) when they were rock stars all of a sudden. And then they were just like, so, you know, kind of after their second album, they were just kind of like, all right, eh, got that out of our system. And then like five years later, put out a third album that wasn't very good. And then we're like, all right, I guess we're done. And haven't done anything since. Any of them, apparently. You know, they they went to school. They had degrees. They they got jobs. Yeah, it's, it's a lot like everything but the girl, except that everything but the girl did it way longer and were like way more into actually being musicians and but we'll get we'll do an everything but the girl album but i mean the the resulting music here is just its own thing it's it's very airy it's very serious in some ways but you don't feel overburdened by the seriousness and that that's a real testament to how airy the the surrounding music is to her vocals yeah, so this is one of the first bands that I ever heard called Dream Pop. I, I kind of knew stuff like Lush and the Cocteau Twins with Shoe Days, even though like I wouldn't really call either of those bands Shoe Days. But yeah, I heard uh, I heard Dream Pop applied to the Sundays first, I think, and it's very fitting for them. But they're really in between, like, they land somewhere between the Cocteau Twins and the Smiths as far as their style. Like, they have that dreamy ethereal quality of the Tocto twins melodically but especially in in terms of the guitar it's such a smith's album mm-hmm. 
and that got st- that got dialed back a little bit on their second album like it wasn't quite as much just up johnny mar's ass as the guitar on this is but also you know this band formed in 1988 like of course they sound like the smiths uh, and i mean i think, think it was kind of impossible for them to make music they make and not sound like the smiths though yeah well it's i mean their music like could very easily be played that just on a jangly acoustic guitar but they it's like they write the songs that way and then take that part out in the final version because i what i was really struck listening to it really closely this time is like how minimalist it is Mm -hmm. because most of the songs are just like one track of guitar one track of bass one track of obviously it's i know that like things get double tracked i'm not saying that but like it for the three people who might be listening to this who are like nothing has ever just one track in the studio i know but like it's not soma by smashing pumpkins where there were like 85 tracks of guitar on that song you know it's it achieves a an ethereal quality with minimal instrumentation and that's really cool and what really sets this album apart from the sort of maximalism that Robin Guthrie brought to the Cocteau Twins and, and Lush when he was producing them. Yeah, it's, I realized I hadn't really listened to much of the Sundays actively, but I realized, but then noticed that I knew all the songs on this album. Yeah, I mean, they're like, looking at it on Spotify, Here's Where the Story Ends has over 21 million plays. Like, it's not mm. an obscure album it's everything i mean nothing else on it comes close that's like 20 million plays more than the next next song <laughs> yeah. down but um like that song is huge and i think it's been on like 50 movie soundtracks too which i'm sure is why it has that much um oh yeah the, the souvenirs of a, of a horrible year or terrible year mm-hmm. like that line is like every single girl boss movie in existence yeah, it, it seems like something that was in every, like, indie movie in the 90s, too. Um, but yeah, so like the first track, Skin and Bones, it's it's the one where the, like, not just the minimalism, but, like, how good the interplay between guitar and bass is on, like, this whole album. And I was just, like, because I've, it's weird because I've, this is one of my favorite albums I've listened to it intensively since i was a teenager but i've never paid super close attention to like what each musician was doing and paying attention to that this time it was just like god damn this is so good and it's not like virtuosity or anything it's just like every note counts and is perfect I mean, that's why I was I was teasing you a little bit about the people calling this uh, celestial pop, in some ways, because I think that like that perfectness and that and, and the interplay is what leads to it feeling as light as it does, because like it really is this just like it hits your ears and it just it creates this uh, like just a normal pleasant feeling. It's very pleasant. <laughs> yeah, it's it, it's it's hard to describe that. It's like it, it's not um, it's not altering your mood necessarily, but you are aware of the comfort yeah for me it does like the song can't be sure that song is it's one of my favorite songs of all time it's my favorite sunday's song and it's that song just to me is like you can't listen to that song and be in a bad mood like it's just so uplifting and like optimistic and even though it's kind of sarcastic because it's kind of like a 
piss take on stiff upper lip. You know, like, England's as happy as England can be. Mm -hmm. There is, like, a wry Morrissey-inspired sarcasm throughout a lot of the lyrics, but in a way that's not, like, okay, you're a miserable prick, but I see why. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And, like, there is a theme throughout the whole album of her, like, thinking she is super smart and and better than everyone in, in the town she came from, but then finding out, like, oh, I've, like... The, I, I look down on these people, but the people that I identify with look down on me for being from Reading. So, um, which is like a, a really, um, I mean, it's where they get the closest to to lyrically being like the Smiths is when that comes up. Uh, like the song "Hideous Towns" has the sort of it's not really a chorus, but the the refrain of "Oh my hopeless youth, it's so uncouth," and I, "Oh I'd like to be in history." Mm-hmm. That's very Morrissey. Yes. And never one to Rome. I took the first bus home and I haven't changed. You can just hear Morrissey singing that one. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Um, And My Finest Hour, which is like maybe the best song on the album, even though Can't Be Sure is my favorite. Um, yeah, that's My Finest Hour is the one that, that has the line, My Finest Hour is finding a pound in the underground. It's like, and then, you know, kind of realizing like, Oh, I've, I've, like, thought that I was super high class because I read books, but actually my my finest hour was finding a dollar. <laughs> um, so, like, I, I think lyrically it does get overlooked a little bit, um, even by me, because, like, to me, like, all the way I learned to, to listen to music because of being so into shoegaze was, like, who gives a fuck what the lyrics are saying? Mm. It just needs to, they need to sound pretty. And and her singing style is not necessarily hard to decipher, but she sings in a way that makes you less likely to want to listen to the actual intent and just how her vocals sound against everything else, sort of swishing around and being really crisp and nice. Yeah, like if if by some chance you listen to the show and haven't heard the Sundays, like her voice is extremely twee. Yes. Um, like it's not like Elizabeth Fraser, where she has all these weird like Edith Piaf and and like operatic influences, or or like Lush, where they came out of like a punk rock background and still kind of sound like we're making pretty music, but I still sound like a I get drunk and get in bar fights kind of vocals. Uh, like Harriet Wheeler sounds like she should have been in like Heavenly or something. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's. Again, it's it's another thing that's kind of like fighting against it sounding as as like soaring and ethereal as it does is that she has this very like twee kind of cutesy voice. Uh, but you know, it's not like Allison Shaw from The Cranes, little girl trapped at the bottom of a well, cutesy. But like, <laughs> and there are moments when she harmonizes with the these the music surrounding her voice in just a way that it does get this really like otherworldly vibe it's it but it's not sustained it's not like bjork coming out here and being like i'm gonna do that all the time and but yeah there are moments where just like everything that a lot of other people's voices somehow come together in wheeler's voice and i don't know what happened there (laughs) yeah again i mean like how i said that the music was kind of like halfway between the smiths and the cocteau twins i feel like her voice is like halfway between like Natalie Merchant and Elizabeth Fraser. Yeah, that that's I think that's fair. Which is 
not i wouldn't have thought that that was like the perfect twee pop singer would be in between natalie merchant and elizabeth frazier but like yeah that's kind of what i get from it yeah no that makes sense and just like this is one where i like wished you had more to say just because i can't do anything but like gush about this i mean this is like a super super important album for me and in, in my musical and like musical development and my development as a person (laughs) (laughs) well the thing is i like it very much and i normally don't like music like this and i realized that as i was listening to it i was comparing it to the music that sounds a lot like the sundays but isn't the sundays that i don't like and i realized why i didn't like it is that they took one element of this band that functions and then take that to too far of an extreme they never get the music quite right but they try to emulate her voice or they just decide to not emulate her voice but then the music also doesn't work and <laughs> well it, like uh, i mean i would put in that and i think you actually like this more than the sundays but like the first cranberries album yeah. is that to me the first when we get when we do that album for the show i'm going to go into detail about how every song in that album is like a track for track ripoff of this album. <laughs> like, like not just it sounds really similar overall. Like the first song is exactly like Skin and Bones. The second song is exactly like uh Here's Where the Story Ends. <laughs> like it's it they just went song by song and wrote this album again. But then the singer is way too like brassy and harsh for this kind of music. Yeah. And and she was trying to tone it down on the first album, but yeah, no, uh, they, there's no way she she should never have tried. I've never listened to the first Cranberries album, so this that's very exciting adventure we're gonna go on. <laughs> well, you have now. Oh wait, heard, yes, I have. You've heard writing, writing, and arithmetic, so now you've heard the first Cranberries album, <laughs> because they're the same album. But but this is much better than, and I like the Cranberries, but this is this is just in a league of its own, like. I can't say this is the best dream pop album ever because it's not the Cocteau Twins, but like it's the second best behind. (laughs) Take your pick of whatever your favorite Cocteau Twins album is. The right answer is Four Calendar Cafe, but if you prefer Heaven or Las Vegas, whatever, like you can have your wrong opinion. (laughs) But like this is second behind that. Well, the thing is, you, you you like good music, for one, so this album being inc- incredibly important to you is not impacting my decision here, but you tend to gravitate towards things that are very functionally very good. And while I don't like music like Joanna Newsom, I can, un- I can appreciate the quality and skill that goes into it, you know? Yeah. There's, there's so much about, especially the guitar sounds on this album, that is like... It's like when you listen to the Cocteau Twins or you listen to Lush, it's like, okay, yeah, there's a lot of reverb, there's a lot of chorus, there's some phase shifter. This album is is not like that. I mean, it's like, yeah, I can listen to it and get a feel for what types of effects he's using, but it's not like, it's not like drenched in like modulation effects and stuff, which is what people get wrong when they, like, bad dream pop is people who are like, oh, the way you sound like the Cocteau Twins is to, like, have six chorus pedals going at the same time. Like, no, that's not... Like, you just have to use, like, the one, but do it right. And um, this album is, like... It bucks that trend, too, because it's, like, a really, like... 
the word unique is overused, but I, I don't know any band that has a similar guitar tone to this that's not trying to rip off the Sundays. That's that's fair. Because yeah, even the Smiths are not like Johnny Marr. His playing was usually just so like pristine, sparkly, like Fender amp clean. And this is like there's a little bit of like overdrive and breakup happening but like in a way that doesn't sound like that's what it is and like if you're a guitar nerd all this means something to you and I, I'm, I'm trying not to get so deep in the in the woods of like analyzing what pedals and amps he was using or anything but like it is something that's been on her mind frequently I'm very impressed by the sound of his guitar and i always have been well there's there's a lot to be said for just playing in a way that in, like getting your your adjustments and your your pedals just right where you just create a thing that is entirely yours it doesn't even have to be very showy but if it just sounds enough like the thing you need it to be you that's what music's for that's what these things are for and and i wouldn't even be surprised if he's not using any pedals like that's what's weird about it like there's there I, there may be a little bit of chorus but like it mostly just sounds like reverb and like eq and and like i said i mean there's like obviously overdrive on some of the louder parts of the album but like that could be done through an amp i'm not i, I think it's a pedal but it it they just buck so many trends of so many cliches of dream pop while being completely situated in the genre and mm -hmm. it's really impressive to me and it really like as a nerd for that kind of music, it, it really puts this like above almost everything released in the genre because it, it bucks so many trends while doing the style perfectly. So just nerding out on on that aspect of the album. It's I mean, it, it's a good one to do that, too. I was I was reading the uh, stuff when I listened to this. I was I was reading the stuff from the the guy from the church and listening to this while he was picking apart how terrible the album I just listened to was. I was listening to this album and I was, that's where my cross comparison brain was coming from. Cause it was like, it's the other side of that. It's like, this is just their own special little polished world. And it was really interesting to hear how, like how unhappy some they were with, with that, with golden gold afternoon fix to what this album sounds like and it was probably a tangent but i think it, i think it's important for just how you feel about the music so it really is just this beautifully composed little trinket and it, it stands it stands out it stands on its own because of that and who knows did the sundays hate how this album sounded maybe they'd never say yep <laughs> okay. do you want to know more about the sundays okay too bad <laughs> they, they're not gonna tell you so yeah, um, I mean that's that's all. If like, feel free to weigh in with anything. But I'm, I don't know if I've made my case for the number I'm going to throw out for this. But I mean, I figured the number was going to be high. It's so. going to be high. Um, I swinging for the fences. I would say number three. <laughs> feel free to knock me down. I think it has to be above sixty-nine love songs. Oh no, that's fine. Okay. I, like I struggled with whether I would put it above Get Lost, but like I think it does its thing better than Get Lost does. I I I kind of if I had to sit down and just listen to an album to just have some music on, I would pick pick this over Get Lost every time. 
Well, yeah, because Get Lost is a Magnetic Fields album, and it's, like, kind of harsh and weird. And this is, like, the farthest thing from harsh or weird. <laughs> and we could do with some not harsh or weird in the in the top ten. I don't know. I'm looking at the first two albums, and those are not harsh. Well, <laughs> Promenade is not harsh. You cannot... None such is a little weird. Yeah. But yeah, if you're happy at three, uh, this is an all-time best album, in my opinion, and and deserves to be at, at least in the top ten. Really, and and the thing is, is like I I knew every song on this album because it is used everywhere, but I never got tired of it. I didn't have the negative association with any of the songs on this album. It was just all right, and it just creates a mood. And for that alone, I think it deserves being in the top ten. Yeah, because it's very pleasant and listenable, but not in the like, I say, I love everything but the girl, but they can get pretty adult contemporary, mm-hmm. even on their best albums. And, um, and adult and this contemporary. Does not, this is like, this has that integrity of being like indie and weird, but also like anybody could sit down and listen to this. And like, unless you're like just somebody who hates pretty music on principle, like, I think almost anyone who listens to this is going to be like, yeah, this is fine or better. <laughs> like, or if you're like me and you massively admire or appreciate this genre, you think it's one of the best albums of the 90s. I I think it's definitely one of the best albums of the 90s. Just go for it. Because I feel personally that all adult contemporary that came after this was just trying to emulate things like the, emulate things like the Sundays, but doing it bad and acoustically. So Yeah, well, it's it's the, in the same way that, and, and not to like shit on Six Spence and on the Richer too much, but like that's a pretty good indicator of like, yeah, we heard the Sundays, but we thought, what if it was more boring? Yeah. <laughs> like, and I like I like that band, so. Yeah, that band's fine, but it, it is like what what if it wasn't what if the Sundays weren't quite as as smart as they are? What what if the Sundays wore tweed? I think the Sundays wore some tweed probably. They had a very grad student kind of feel to them. <laughs> All right, so top 10. Uh, at number 10, Superstition by Susie and the Banshees. We pushed Pavement out of the top 10, and I'm kind of sad about that because I think Slanted and Enchanted actually should still be in the top 10. Um, number 9, A Spooky by Lush. Number 8, Barry by the Pet Shop Boys. Number 7, The Philosophy of Momus by Momus. Number 6 is 69 Love Songs by The Magnetic Fields. Number 5, Liberation by The Divine Comedy. Number 4 is Get Lost by The Magnetic Fields. Number 3, Reading, Writing, and Reading, Writing and Arithmetic by The Sundays. I'll never get used to it. Uh, Nonsuch by XTC is at number 2. And our new number 1 still as of last episode, Promenade by The Divine Comedy. If you want to see our entire rankings, you can go to bit.ly slash nr1990s. That's bit.ly slash nr1990s. And you can also go on Spotify and listen to every album that we have ever ranked. And you just search for In Our 1990s and you'll find both of our playlists. Um, what are you adding to that playlist this week, Adrian? Next um, week. Well, I'm bringing a, a fine album called Placebo by Placebo. Oh, not uh, isn't, isn't there a Sparks album called Placebo? Also? No, there is not. Oh. What's the other Sparks album from the 90s? Plagiarism. Like, oh, why the fuck did I think it was Placebo? All right, well, you're just going to keep bringing the British bands, so I have to mix it up. Um, after, like, 
two straight shows of all British My last all band was Australian. That's British. My last band was Australian. <laughs> Sorry, Australians. You're not British. I like you more than that. I don't want to I don't want to choose sides. You are not Turf Island. So that's, your that's your fair. island is more fun. Um well, I'm going to bring something drastically not British, which is Dead Serious by Das Effects. And the version of that album on Spotify is censored. And it's not too terrible because they don't swear that much. You just you get a lot of like, they, it's the censoring where it's like backwards record scratch or, or like backmask the, the shits. So get used to that. <laughs> I swear to God there is an uncensored version of this album, but I cannot find find it anywhere. I know the drummer in my band in high school had an uncensored copy of Dead Serious that does not seem to exist anymore. Oh no. But like I said, it's not too bad. You'll still have fun listening to it, I hope. One one big ol' homophobic slur in the first song, be ready for that. It is a hip hop album from the early nineties. But it's it's the only one on the album, so it's not it's not like you're gonna have to listen to Easy or something. You you say that as if I am uncomfortable listening to easy e oh no i was saying it to the listeners that's fair that's fair i'm 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 a little uncomfortable listening to easy e like he he took the homophobia well beyond what most other rappers in the early 90s that man had to tell you how much he hated gay people on every song yeah i don't know i just I just tune it out for some rappers. I don't know. Uh, yeah, it doesn't, I mean, it was just, like, it. this doesn't make it okay, but it was just, like, in the water in the early 90s. Like, everybody was, not everybody, obviously, but, like, most media was casually homophobic. And the fact that it's just one song, and they're one, one, it's, it's used once in the first song, and then not again, so it's not that big a deal. Okay. Also, Brian Malko is from America. But that band is Britpop. We've had this discussion. That's not what the drummer thought. And, and he's wrong. He he was right. I mean, they're like Sonic Youth Britpop. But. Yeah, they're just... This, so this... We will get into it on the next episode, but this album is very different than Without You, I'm Nothing. Yeah, the first album is definitely like punkier. I think, if it I is. remember correctly. Yeah. Okay. Well, we can talk about this next week. And uh, until then, listen to the Sundays more. You owe it to yourself.